Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom. Passover, we get ready for Passover. What a blessed time of year. Pray for me that I would be able to deliver this um, message this time of year. This is a time where I think we all get very introspective. Quite honestly, I've been pretty melancholy, especially this past week. Um, A lot of people have contacted the ministry and asked us. We've been having lots of discussions at home about the bread as you start to prepare and clean out your house and what is leaven. And I think as the years go on, each and every year, we always come to the same question. Well, what is leaven? What are we going to get? Is it the baking soda? And, and we know from the scriptures that leaven is a picture of sin. And really, we're never going to get the full answer because the whole purpose of this time of year is each and every time Passover comes around, and it should be a daily thing, truly, because this is a rehearsal We're to question, what is sin in my life? Because what sin in my life last year, I've hopefully, you've hopefully overcome and conquered. So now the Father through the Holy Spirit is going to go deeper to a deeper layer and now try to reveal something more in our lives. Well, what is sin? When I first came to the Messiah when I was 24 years old, it was all hanging on my sleeve. It was so apparent to see. But now, maybe not so apparent, but it's still there. It's just deeper and deeper and deeper. What is leaven? I think now as um, this ministry's matured, as we mature, so does our understanding of what um, leaven is. It's not just literally, we're not following the rabbis and running around our house and, and just clearing out leavened bread. It's more than that. I look at the spiritual application. Um, so this year, we actually got a sourdough starter and started to grow grow the um, sourdough product because when I read the scriptures back in the book of Exodus I see well hang on a minute they they were making regular bread they fully planned to execute a loaf that would rise but the reason it didn't rise because it was the bread of haste so I look at that spiritually and I think it had all the ingredients within itself to rise but It was pulled out of the furnace early, and therefore it didn't have an opportunity to rise. And you all know me. I run hot, and I'm looking at this with my family, with my children, with life, and I'm like, this is speaking to me specifically this year. I was born, we are all born sinners. We have all the ingredients within ourselves to rise up and say to our brother, Raka, right? But as we mature in the Messiah, we should master that and pull ourselves out of the furnace of wrath before we rise up. And that's what makes us distinctly different as believers, right? We're supposed to be different than the world. When they rise up, And leaven, we're supposed to show restraint. So for me, this year, as I come into the Passover, that's something that I've been convicted of. That yes, I have all the ingredients, I was born a sinner, but now as I mature in my walk, I'm not supposed to let that all rise up. I'm supposed to have the control through the Holy Spirit to pull myself out of the furnace of wrath, affliction, temptation, so that I don't do that. The weight of Passover this year, to me, like I said, it has made me quite melancholy because I'm in the world but not of the world. I go into the world but I'm not of the world. And I just see the the offhanded dismissal of the power of Yahushua's death, burial, and resurrection. Just the offhanded dismissal of the power in the lives of these youth that just are living as if it doesn't matter. Yet we've tasted the power of a transformed life. And so that has made me feel quite sad, to tell you the truth, and um, a little bit depressed. And then 
it's been brought to my attention, apparently, that I've gone around at this congregation, and most probably in life in general, and offended and hurt a lot of people with my personality, maybe walking past somebody and not saying hello because I'm on a mission, got something to do. And I think because of the position I'm I'm in, maybe people perceive me differently than who I really am. And um, it's been brought to my attention that I've hurt a lot of people. And I haven't meant to. I think sometimes my personality, I've been... Yahweh has raised me up to be able to withstand a lot of onslaught, a lot of attack, and to continue on when many people would quit because I don't take a lot of these things personally. And when things go hard and when there are trials, I'm the man for the job. I can endure. Things don't, don't affect me in a way that it might affect somebody who's sensitive. That doesn't mean I'm not sensitive, but maybe different. I'm wired differently. I'm not making excuses. But then that hit me this Passover too. And I don't mean to overshare or anything, but this is real to me coming into this season. And then I realized, well, maybe I've gone around and offended people and hurt people. But the reality is too that I've been very disappointed by a lot of people in ministry because of the lack of commitment, the, the vagabond, people come, people go. They, I expect to people to be as committed as I am, but it's... So then I'm like, well, wow, what am I? And that brings me to this message, quite honestly, because Passover is a very, very deep time of introspection. Am I I just walking around thinking that I'm something, but really I'm just walking around hurting people? I don't want to be that. I'm trying to be able, but am I acting like Cain? So I want to look today at three laws of Scripture. Three laws of Scripture. Number one, I want to look at the law of first mention. The law of first mention, many of you Bible students know, it's where a a word is mentioned first in the Bible, specifically in the Hebrew, then that tells you where it comes from, and that is the root origin of that word. And then you're going to use that to understand that word when it appears later on in the Bible. Case in point would be the, the, the first mention of the word apostle, was the dove. The dove was the first apostle. So therefore, apostle isn't some highbrow religious concept, because if you take the word all the way back to its Hebrew origin, sholiach, it means someone or something that is sent out for a specific purpose. So by using the law of first mention, you strip all religion all hierarchy away from the word and you take it back to its concrete root form. I like that because we're trying to overcome pagan tradition and religion. So we're going to look at today the law of first mention. We're going to look at, number two, the law of development. That's another um, great revelation that we need to understand when we're studying the Bible. The law of of, of course, development, meaning that Yahweh doesn't lay it all out for us in Genesis. It's line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. Yahweh develops revelation throughout the scripture. It's the law of development. Here a little and there a little. And thirdly, we're going to look at the law of redemption, which is, of course, we know, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So today, 
being a little melancholy, having a look at my introspection and thinking, well, am I literally just walking around in this life offending and hurting people? Well, some. Am I really that insensitive? I hope not. But maybe to some I am. So we're going to go on a blood trail today. We're going to go on a blood trail. Let's hope it doesn't lead back to me. But we're going to go on a blood trail and reveal the Old Testament passages have their New Testament exposition in a way that you and I had never imagined ever before. So Passover, the first text, of course, is Exodus chapter 12. Let's turn there. Let's go to the 11th verse in Exodus chapter 12, Shemot chapter 12, verse 11. This is how you are to eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is Yahweh's Passover, the bread of haste, not fully risen, the bread of haste. And what is the central element to Passover? In the Hebrew, dam, blood. Blood is the central element to the story of Passover. The life of the flesh is in the in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood, meaning the vital principle of blood is what? Thank you. The vital principle of blood is life. But the world will tell you blood is all about death and gore and violence. No. I'm so sick of the world, especially at this time of year, in their just dismissal in the power and the relevancy of Yahusha's death, burial, resurrection. It saddens me, it angers me, it annoys me, it frustrates me. How can you not see the power of a resurrected life? It really makes me sad. And I try and share, and people look at me like I'm just an oddball. And we just know that's not true. (laughs) The life of the flesh is in the blood. The vital principle of blood is life. The idea of blood isn't death, but the idea of blood is life. Life itself. Strike the lintel. And the two side posts with blood. And you'll receive life. You'll receive life. A man, a woman that comes to pass over to that door unatoned cannot worship Yahweh. He stands outside the house waiting for that inevitable death shroud to swallow him up. There is no way of access. There is no way of communion with his maker. He is utterly of touch. He is utterly disconnected from his maker. And this is what I see when I'm getting my coffee in the morning, when I'm ordering a latte. I look around and I see this everywhere and I get melancholy and I feel depressed. I'm just being real with you. I walk around this world and I feel like I have these eyes that see, a voice that can speak, but nobody wants to listen. And then I have people come at me and say, well, when you do speak, apparently you offend everybody and hurt everybody's feeling. And I just feel, oh, my goodness. I let, time is running short. And I think maybe I don't have the patience for a lot of the melodramatic drama. And people perceive that as I don't care. But we have bigger fish to fry than being offended with one another. What does the Bible say? Do not be easily offended. I am not offended by any of you. I truly am. You have None of you have offended me. Now, I have been disappointed by many. And that's because I'm in the trenches, and I see the cost that my children and my wife pay because of my lack of attention to maybe things when I'm attending to. And it's a balance. It truly is. It is a balance. 
And sometimes I get out of balance. And I thank my friends and my loved ones that can say, hey, Matthew, you know, chill pill, balance, you know, and, and help me and give me the opportunities to be able to be more balanced. So this is a time of year, as you can tell, I, I think, by the way I'm communicating today, that it struck me pretty hard. It really has these past weeks. But really, when it comes to that midnight hour, that great midnight hour, will you be under the blood? When it comes to that great midnight hour, will you be under the blood? When that clock, and it will, when that clock strikes 12 in this world, where will we be? Will we be under the bloodied lintel? Because all of this stuff is all going to be nothing. Where will you be when this world strikes midnight? We had better be under the bloodied lintel. Because nothing else is going to matter at that point. Nothing else. And that's the reality I walk around in, thinking about every day. And people would say, oh, well, you're just a Bible fanatic. Well, I am fanatical about the Bible because I see the power of the resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection. And yeah, I have a fanatical life story I, I can share with you sometime. But Yahusha's blood struck the doorposts and lintels, not just here on earth, but in heaven. And when it struck that doorpost of lintel in the heaven, it opened up humanity's opportunity for redemption. Because basically we see that that blood is life and it has striking power. I was walking along at 24 years old and that blood struck me. Boom. That's it struck never to be the same ever again we have to understand the striking power of the blood to really receive the redemption i went totally off track i was going to go to the law of first mention see i'm not even genesis chapter 4 verse 10 the law of first mention keep digging Let's go to the law of first mention again. What is the most important thing about the Passover? Exodus chapter 12 is the blood. It's about life. Let's go to the law of first mention and truly find what Passover is about. Genesis chapter 4 verse 10. We're going to find the law of first mention. The first time the Hebrew word dam, blood, is ever mentioned in scripture. This is important. Who is the first person in the Bible that speaks the word dam? It's not man. It is Yahuwah himself. The creator of the heavens and the earth is the first one ever to mention dam, blood. Yahuwah said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's dam, blood, cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield crops for you. You will be a restless vagabond wandering around on the earth. That is, right there, the central element to the Passover story. Blood and Yahuwah. Very importantly, it's Yahuwah who first mentions blood. Four things, four things that we should notice about this blood. It's got a voice, hasn't it? The blood has got a voice, first thing. The second thing... It's got a loud voice. It cries, that blood. The third thing, Yahweh hears the blood. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And the fourth thing, the blood cries out from the place of a curse. And what happened when the curse came? The ground was full of Thorns and thickets. The blood cries out from the place of thorns. 
you can see where Yahweh is taking us because he's the first one that mentions blood. Number one, it speaks. Number two, it speaks very loudly. Number three, it's got a voice that Yahweh hears. And number four, the blood cries out from the thorns. It cries out from the thorns. It speaks. Yahweh hears it. And it's very loud when it comes from the place of the thorns. This is about Passover. I will reveal to you the end from the beginning. That's the second law we're looking at. The law of development. Amen. The Messiah had a crown of thorns. You're starting to track with me. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. And Yahushua, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better than that of Abel. It's the blood of sprinkling. It speaks, but it speaks better than the blood of Abel's. Did Abel's blood speak? Yes. Did it cry? Yes. Did Yahweh hear it? Yes. Did it cry from the place of thorns? Yes. But Yahweh says there's an even greater blood that's going to have all of those four aspects to it, but it's going to be the blood of sprinkling. Now you've got to go into the Torah and look at the laws of sprinkling in Leviticus 14 and 15. You can do that in your own time. I can either go short tonight or I can go very long. So we'll, we got the wood pews out of here years ago. So at least you're comfortable. But we have to listen to the voice of the blood. And as I've been walking around somewhat depressed and melancholy, I've been hearing the voice of the blood. And I've been like, am I really? I don't mean to go around hurting people and offending people. Really, it's murder is the issue here. Murder is the issue here. Either Yahushua's murder or it's our own blood guilt. Because whoever is wroth or angry with his brother without a cause shall be liable for the judgment. You see, Abel made his offering from the firstborn of his flock. Blood. And because of that blood, something actually did pass over Abel, didn't it? But it didn't pass over Cain, did it? The thing that passed over Abel actually landed on Cain and it penetrated his very, very heart. So there's your Passover and the origins of blood right there. Because Abel's offering was from blood, the firstborn of his flock. So what passed over Abel actually penetrated the very heart of Cain. Because Cain's offering came from the curse. And Yahweh is showing us here something about Passover. It passed over Abel, redemption, yet it penetrated the heart of Cain, judgment. This is talking about Passover. This is talking about you and me as I walk around in this world melancholy. There's four things that I want to talk about just in the comparisons between this story in Genesis chapter 4 and the Passover. Number one, look at the cry of the shepherd's blood. Abel was a shepherd. And who is the great shepherd? And do you and I hear the cry of his blood? Because I heard it when I was 24 years old. And what makes me melancholy is people are like this. And that depresses me. Number two, Abel died a death of violence at the hands of his brothers. And Yahushua died a death of violence at the hands of his brothers. Number three, the blood of Abel cried. It cried very loud and Yahweh heard it. But the blood of Yahushua, it still cries today and Yahweh hears it. And you and I have an opportunity to hear it. And unless we hear it, 
We're going the way of Cain. We are going the way of Cain unless we make that personal declaration of hearing it. And number four, the blood first cried from the place of thorns, that blood-stained thorny ground where Cain slew Abel. But the blood of Messiah cries redemption from his stained thorny brow. Look at the comparisons. But it doesn't end there. There's contrasts as well within this story of Genesis chapter 4 because we're looking at the two laws out of the three. The law of first mention, blood, Genesis 4. But now we're looking at the law of development. Look how it develops. There are five contrasts we can see right here. Abel died by force. But Messiah Yahusha, he died willingly. Number two, Abel died a sacrificer, but Yahushua died as the sacrifice. Look at the contrast. I mean, this is mind-blowing. The voice of Abel cries out for vengeance, but the voice of Messiah's blood cries out for remission, forgiveness, mercy. That's the heart of Yahweh is mercy, especially this time of year. Number four, the blood of Abel, it polluted the ground. But the blood of Messiah, it is preserved in heaven forevermore. These contrasts are just huge. Because we're now going back to the origins of the law of first mentioned blood. The whole story of Passover is all about blood. Number five, the blood of Abel, it was lost. Lost. The blood of Abel was lost. Think about it. Adam and Eve had never experienced, he was the first human to die. Can you imagine? They never ever had seen about it, seen it or heard about it. And there he was, his blood literally lost. Think about it today where people see death all the time. Movies and all of this stuff. And once you see that, you, you, you would hope you'd never see it again. People have become so insensitized to it. But this was the first death ever of a human. Abel's blood was lost, but the blood of Messiah, it saves the lost. Look at the contrasts. And it will never lose its power. Never lose its power. No matter what they try to do today, it will never lose its power. It will never lose its power. I don't care what they try to do. It will never lose its power. You and I know that. We are climbing a mountain of faith, aren't we? You know when Moses, the higher Moses got up the mountain, he looks around and he's like, the higher you get. And there's, there's my, there we go back to my disappointments. I am disappointed in a lot of people. Because over the years as a minister, I've walked hand in hand with people. And then I, where are they? Oh, they denied the Messiah. Oh, yeah, they went back into pagan, paganism. Yeah, it was too hard. Oh, there, yeah, they stopped keeping the Sabbath. Yeah, they, you know. The cry of the world was too much. The cry, of, uh, and then I get disappointed. I'm like, really? I run into ex Torah teachers that are now Buddhists in pizza parlors. I really do. Disappoint, I'm disappointed. I don't understand. If you have tasted and seen the goodness, and if you have literally heard the cry of the blood, how can you ever go back? Once you've set your hand to the plow, you don't get to go back. You don't. How can you teach the Torah for years and years and then become a Buddhist? I tried that when I was 23 years old. And I wasn't that smart. And I figured, well, he's dead. He's in the ground. Buddha left his wife and family. He left his kids for crying out loud. What example is that to follow? Yet Yahushua loved the women. He loved the children. Come to me. He has resurrected the grave. Couldn't even hold him. Buddha's carcass is rotting in the ground, Siddhartha. I mean...
Let's look at this mountain that you and I are climbing because I want to go to Zion. I don't, not, not, I'm not talking about the state of Israel or Zionists here. I want to go to Zion. Zion, the heavenly Zion, the biblical Zion. Let's go there. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. In fact, I think we have something to put up on the screen for you because now as we go into the text of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, you're going to see we're climbing a mountain and that mountain is a menorah. It's an olive tree. It is a branched menorah. It is our redemption. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 22. Now I want you to count the ands. Count the ands in the text. That's going to give you your separations. But ye are come unto Mount Zion. Where are we going? That's where we're going. That's our destination. Here we go. We're building a menorah from the inside out from the outside in we're going from right to left and unto the city of the living Elohim the heavenly Jerusalem and to the innumerable hosts of the angels to the general assembly and the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to the Elohim the judge of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and Yahusha, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better than that of Abel. Now notice the sevens, they're not just perfect sevens. They're double sevens, aren't they? Look, they're double sevens. They're double sevens. The whole way through. This is talking about eternity, perfection, the double sevens, because we're under the blood. We're under the blood. But also look at the menorah's construction, working from the outside in on both sides. Look at the comparisons. Look at the linkages. This is talking about our life. Remember, this is talking about our life. One and seven go together, don't they? One and seven go together. The city of the living Elohim, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better than Abel. But two and six go together too, don't they? To the innumerable hosts of angels, the general assembly, and Yahusha, the mediator of the new covenant. But three and five go together. The assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and the spirits of just men made perfect. And what's the central pillar? The central pillar is Yahuwah. He is the judge of all. He is the judge of all. Look at the linkages between these. They are bound together. They are bound together. The only way you and I are getting to the city of the living Elohim, the heavenly Jerusalem, is what? How do we get there? You cannot get there alone. You have to be bound with the linkage of the blood of sprinkling. That's the only way you and I are getting to the heavenly Jerusalem. How does the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, who are those people? They're the spirits of just men made perfect. How? Through the blood of sprinkling. Do you see that we're, we're climbing a mountain and ultimately we're all going to be standing before the central pillar, the judge of all? There's no escape. This is our redemption. And who was the first man that was looking for a city? Because this is where we start our walk, isn't it? We're just walking along in the city, walking along in the town, walking along in a village, and we get struck by the blood. And then our life is never the same. And then we begin our journey. The first man who was looking for a city, it was Abraham. He was the first man that was looking for a city. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10. For he looked for the city which hath the foundations, whose builder and maker is Elohim. Well, what, what, what city do you think? Was he looking for Sodom? 
Abraham wasn't looking for Sodom. He was looking for the heavenly Jerusalem. Do you see it? This is the ascent of the mountain right here. Let's put that menorah back up on screen because look at the first journey. Where does the journey start from? It starts from the city of the living Elohim and you get there by the blood of sprinkling. Fear not. I am the first. I'll meet you in the city. I'll strike your heart with the blood. And then if you follow me and you never look back, no matter what anybody says, no matter how melancholy and depressed you get, just keep the good faith. Fight the good fight. Don't give up the faith. No matter what people say, no matter how disappointed you get, and I'll see you through by that blood of sprinkling to the city of the heavenly Jerusalem. And, and we are literally like vines growing through the branches of a tree. And if we do what we've been called to do, we'll get to be with the judge. And we'll pass the judgment because of the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than Abel. There is no security like the security of the blood that cries and sprinkles. There's no security in this world that it tries to offer you all this security. There is no security than the security I found when I was 24 years old, which is why I'm wired the way I am. And I'm sorry if I've hurt some of you and some of the people out there, I'm sure too. But I have a job to do. I'm on a mission, and I know you are too. And sometimes we have just got to continue on in spite of what people say about us, in spite of all of the offenses. Because you know what? We are supposed to be under the blood together. And we're supposed to be refining each other with the word of Yahweh that is sharper than a two-edged sword. The first one that we see in that amazing, amazing Hebrews 12 is the city. And the last one is the blood. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. The city of the living Elohim, the heavenly Jerusalem, is built, it is founded on the blood of the Lamb, isn't it? The city that we're going to is founded on the Passover blood of the Lamb. The blood is the seventh. It's the pinnacle of the mountain. It's the zenith. Everything that we hope for. Mount Zion. It's the culmination of all things. You start in the city and then you climb. And then you climb. You climb throughout this life. Saints, that's what we're here for. We climb throughout this life as saints. We climb like a vine through the branches of the menorah, the olive tree branches, until we come to glory. The canopy, the blood, where we'll be able to see it all. Because this world is passing away. Do you know how fast 20 years go? Do you know how fast 30 years go? It go I, can't, I never could do it. I still can't. But it goes that fast. Yes. And you and I are going to be in the canopy and all of this. So we have to endure. We have to get over our offenses. That doesn't excuse me for going around and hurting people. I know that. And I'm going to do my work on my cup too. Because I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to offend people. But I also want people to support and be committed. As I am committed... In spite of my failings and your failings, we know that there is a message that's going out from this ministry that is our message. It's not my message. It's the message of the life of the people and the support that you're all giving to be able in these last days to help our brothers. We are our brother's keeper. Taking us back to Genesis 4. That was a good tie-in, wasn't it? That was... Not intended. Wow. We're going to a better country, aren't we? Hebrews 11, verse 16. 
but now they desire a better country. And I think that's where a lot of my melancholy comes from. I've done too much. I've seen too much. Should never have done it. Really messed me up. Some people are like, how can you be like as young as you are and all you want to do is sit around and read the Bible? I've done it all. It's nothing. I've tasted it all. It's nothing. It means nothing to me. It's death. I literally am longing to be in the canopy. And I think that means that sometimes life goes real slow for me. Even though I say, yeah, you know, you click your fingers and it goes fast. It does, but the days sometimes. And the happiest I am is when I'm with you all, with my family, and in the Word with saints. That's it. And I long for that. I long for being in the Word with other people that are like-minded. And when I'm not, I get melancholy. Because, you know, it's just a... It's a, it's a spiritual thing. Now they desire a better country. That is heavenly. The blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than Abel. So maybe this message is just Matthew trying to work through all of his troubles. So please bear with me. But I hope we can develop some kind of Passover message out of all my inner angst, turmoil, and grief. So please, I'm sorry. It's like, wow, we really had to listen to all that oversharing? Yes! But Abel was looking for a way. He was looking for a way back into the garden, wasn't he? He was looking in the wrong direction. And you see, that's the problem with the world. They're really looking for a way back in the garden, aren't they? Oh, you know, you, you know, don't want to throw that styrofoam away. You don't want to recycle. No, I've got nothing against recycling. I, I mean, Carol, nothing really against recycling. But we can... Because of what? Yeah, the plane, yeah. But the world's trying to get you back to Eden, right? Oh, well, we've got to you know, get rid of you know, at least... How many people do they want to get rid of in the Georgia Guidestones? A lot of people, right? Down to 500, Down to 500 million. So that's a lot of people for their global community of Eden. No, you're not getting back into the Garden of Eden, no matter how much Al Gore goes around in his jet, and no matter how much environmentalism and Greenpeace and Save the Whales, you're never getting back into Eden because there is a cherub, a cherub there, and there is a drawn sword. Yahuwah's mercy and judgment can only allow you to come to the blood of sprinkling. No work of man, nothing that we can come up with, science Nothing will ever allow humanity back into the Garden of Eden. You're looking in the wrong direction. You're looking in the direction of the world, worldliness, carnality. Even Abel was looking back to paradise lost. But Yahweh's sword guards the way. And we know, growing up in England, that the sword can be a very good thing or it can be a very bad thing. You go visit the queen and you know what? That sword of the queen can be used on an aggressor. But that sword of the queen can also be used to elevate your very status. To elevate you. And that's it. That's the monarchy. Because we live under a king and Yahweh is wondering, well, how are you going to approach my sword? Because, you know, his word is his sword. How are you going to approach his word? Are you going to approach his word as an aggressor? Are you going to argue with what the Bible says is holy, what is acceptable, and what is an abomination? If you're going to argue with his sword, then he will use his sword on you as an aggressor. Or will you come to his sword in humbleness through the blood of sprinkling? And then what will his sword do? You'll have a change of status. He'll elevate you. And you'll be able to do things that you could never have imagined. The only reason I am literally able to teach and stand here before you is because of the blood of sprinkling. It is impossible that I could do this. 
that you could do the things that you do without the blood of sprinkling, that you could have attained the things in the life that you have without the blood of sprinkling because he literally took you from your families and he elevated you through the blood of sprinkling. That sword either elevates or it becomes a hand of the aggressor. We have to be humble. And then we will find that we are not going to be struck to hell. You argue with the sword, you will be struck to hell. The Pope can come out and say there's no such thing as hell. That's because he's been struck and is going to hell. But we know that we are going to be struck and risen to heaven. And that is because we meet the herub, the cherub, which is a balance of his mercy that then leads us all the way back to that better country. It's amazing. Let's look at the law of development and the law of redemption. There's five things that I want to show you here. Look at Isaac. This is the law of redemption, the law of development. Isaac, we see the provision of the lamb. Yahweh will provide himself a lamb. But look how it develops. Then with Isaiah, what do we see? We see the purpose of the lamb. Number two, the purpose of the lamb. He is led as a lamb to the slaughter. But then when we go to John, number three, we see the person of the Lamb. The book of John is all about the person of Christ, the person of Messiah. Behold, the Lamb of Yah that takes away the sin of the world. But then with Peter, we see the preciousness of the Lamb. The precious. Look out. Do you see how it's developing from Isaac to Isaiah to John? And now Peter, we've got the preciousness, the precious, oh, the preciousness, the lamb without blemish, without spot. And then we go into the revelation, Giliana, the revelation. We've got the potency, and this is where I'm at, the potency and the primacy of the lamb. He is able to loose the seven seals. Behold, the throne of Yahweh and the throne of the lamb. That is potent that is primacy and the world cannot stand against that at all this is the law of development it started off with the provision it went to the purpose it goes to the person and then to the preciousness we've got the provision the person the purpose the preciousness going from isaac to isaiah to john to peter to revelation This is amazing. Now let's go back to Exodus chapter 12. Let's look at this lamb. Specifically, verse 3, verse 4, and verse 5. We're honing on that. Now we're going to look at the law of development of faith that leads to redemption. So remember how we started off? The law of first mention. Then we went to the law of development. And now we're going to look at the law of redemption. And in fact, we're going to see that all three coming into great fruition here. And in the tenth of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb according to their father's house. A lamb for a household. And if the household be too little for a lamb, then shall he and his neighbor next unto his house take one according to the number of the souls, according to every man's eating, shall he make you count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. Three things right here that just jump right out to me. Verses 3, 4, and 5. Three things that jump right out. And this is about the development of faith. This is how the development of faith is in an individual. Think about it. Look at it. Because the development of our faith ultimately leads us to the the blood of sprinkling. I mean, I remember... I was searching and seeking. I was like, yeah, well, Buddha's dead. That's not going to work. 
So then the next thing I'm going, I'm thinking, oh, you know, when I was in London, there was the Harry Krishnas. Yeah, maybe I should try that out. I look into that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I like the dieting and all that. I don't want to shave my head and bang a bunch of tambourines and dress in orange robe. No, that's not going to work. Oh, maybe the Native American spirituality. I like the idea of that. You can smoke stuff and you can kind of hallucinate and go into sweat lodges. This is right up my alley. So I go and living in Portland at the time. So I sign up, you know, and I go to this big ranch with the old chiefs there and we're all smoking this stuff and, and, and burning green stuff. I mean, there's not much transition from my worldliness into this. I mean, it was kind of a nice, seamless transition. We're going into this sweat lodge. People are passing out, hallucinated, like six or seven hours in this thing. This is when we first met, right? I mean, you've got animal medicine cards, all this weird, crazy voodoo stuff, you know. I mean, I was well into it. But then finally, you know, I wasn't really reading the Bible but I, you know, I grew up with the Church of England. There's no separation of church and state in England. And then I'm like, well, hang on a minute. It's all about the great eagle and the great spirit. These people are like worshipping the created things, not the creator. This is Romans chapter 1 right here. Yes, there's some pretty cool things. And yeah, I like, you know, animal husbandry and, you know, living in tents. And, you know, I, I like tobacco. Back then I used to smoke Marlboro Red. So, I mean, it was great. But they were worshipping the created things, not the creator. So that's no good for me. This is the development of my faith back then. And this is how I see it right here. Look at verse 3. First of all, somebody just started talking to me about a lamb. Right? And I started to hear. Verse 3, it's the indefinite article. Starts off with somebody is sharing with you about a lamb. The lamb of Yahweh that was slayed from the foundation of the world. And you're listening about a lamb. But then something starts to happen inside of you. And then you go into verse 4 and you see that change. That lamb is no longer in the indefinite article. It's not just a lamb. It becomes the lamb. You see that? There's a definite article now. There's a change. This is the development, the law of development of faith that leads to redemption. And now that lamb is no longer just a lamb. I'm starting to listen a little bit more. And now it's about the lamb, definite article. And I'm pondering this for some time, some weeks. I'm sitting in this back garden. It was crazy. You can imagine this. Literally, it was a Sunday morning, sitting in this back garden with this Native American flute, with these crazy animal medicine cards, staring at the sun underneath an apple tree. And this guy comes out and he's talking to me about the lamb. It was no longer the a lamb, it was the lamb. And I followed him and I ended up in an assembly, first time since I was a little boy. And then something happened, verse 5 happened. It's your lamb. Look at the law of development. First of all, it's an indefinite article. It's just a lamb. And then it's a definite article. It's the lamb. And then the lamb became my lamb. Yahushua is my lamb. This is the law of development of faith that leads to redemption. And it is only when Yahushua becomes my lamb, when he becomes your lamb. He's not a lamb. He's not the lamb. He is my lamb. He's your lamb. When he's your lamb, then that's when you have arrived at the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than Abel, and you are passed over. That's what this is about. And that takes me back to why I'm so miserably depressed and melancholy. You don't get it, world. I'm a fool to you. 
Because it's just the lamb. Oh, yeah, yeah, I heard about that thing that happened 2,000 years ago. I'm like, no, it's my, he's my lamb. He's right in here. It's real. My whole life is about the lamb, my lamb, the law of development of faith that leads to redemption that can redeem you. But you're just arguing with the sword of his word. Arguing that your lifestyle is acceptable when it's not. It's sin. I'm not saying it's sin. The sword is saying it's sin. But you're arguing and making me like I'm the one that you've got a problem with. Oh, and I've offended you. And now I've hurt your feelings. Because I'm insensitive to your sin. I'm trying to get you to approach the sword with humbleness so that you can get an elevated status. But instead, you won't even look or hear what I'm saying. You're judging me because you think I'm judging you. The sword will judge you, either as an aggressor and slay you, or will elevate your status and you will come into the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than Abel. This is a powerful time of year. It is a powerful time of year and there are counterfeits all around us. The biggest counterfeit tomorrow. All around us. All around us. And then I get disappointed with the counterfeits. I get disappointed with people that are content with the counterfeit. That disappoints me. I'm disappointed. So this is really a journey, isn't it? Isn't it? And now we all feel melancholy, don't we? See, see? Hang out with me too much longer. Oh, that was a depressing message, wasn't it? Crying out loud. No wonder the guy's got no friends and sits at home all by his own reading the Bible. And this is what people think. No, I'm a happy guy, but I'm not happy with sin. This is amazing. Passover is an amazing opportunity. The law of first mention leads us to the blood of Abel. But there is a blood that is better than Abel's. It speaketh better things. It's the blood of sprinkling. And then if we look at the law of development, it develops us from Genesis 4. And it leads us to this fabulous menorah that we see in Hebrews chapter 12. And the canopy of this tree, this great olive tree, this great menorah, is Yahweh the judge. We will meet the judge. But how we approach his word, his sword either we will approach it as an aggressor and he will slay us or we will approach it through the blood of sprinkling in humbleness and he will give us an elevated status as saints as servants of the most high but we have to be faithful we have to live an uncompromised life and that means that you lose connection with compromised individuals. And that leads me back to my disappointment. So there's a balance, isn't there, of working through your hurts and your offenses and then somebody like me working through my disappointments because ultimately I'm the one that will stand before the judge. You're the one that will stand before the judge. But as for me and my house... We shall serve the living Elohim through the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than Abel. And that leads me to my last and third and final point. It's the law of redemption. What a beautiful, powerful thing. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And the world is looking for a way back to paradise lost. But you and I, we see that that is foolishness because we're looking for another country. That's why we're so different. We are literally a different creation. We've been recreated. So, Father, I pray as we prepare for Passover that this message would truly perk the hearts of our Sabbath to get right with you. That, Father, that you're doing a work in our lives, in my life, powerfully. And I thank you for the trials. I thank you for the tribulation. And Abba, 
I ask that you would forgive me for hurting and offending people. And people, brethren, if I have hurt you and offended you, please forgive me. It's unintentional. I truly, it is unintentional. Moshe, is it unintentional? Have I hurt you? How many times? My son is very understanding of my ways. Very understanding of my ways. (laughs) So, Father, I thank you for the great hope that's within me. My lamb. My lamb. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us, O Yahuwah, for our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the glory, the kingdom, and the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen.